0: Chapter 9 of Silver Chimes in Syria Glimpses of a Missionary's Experiences. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Diana Meilinger. Silver Chimes in Syria Glimpses of a Missionary's Experiences by William S. Nelson. Chapter 9 Emigration. THE PERIOD OF MY LIFE IN SYRIA HAS WITNESSED THE RAPID DEVELOPMENT OF EMIGRATION. IN FORMER DAYS THERE WAS VERY LITTLE TRAVEL AMONG THE PEOPLE, THE MARRIAGE OF A GIRL TO A MAN IN A NEIGHBORING VILLAGE BEING A NOTABLE AND RATHER RARE OCCURRENCE. IT WAS NO UNUSUAL THING FOR A PERSON TO SPEND HIS WHOLE LIFE WITHOUT EVER GOING SO MUCH AS TEN MILES FROM HIS birthplace. I WAS ENTERTAINED FOR SUPPER ONE NIGHT AT THE HOME OF A WEALTHY MOSLEM IN Homs. THE OLD FATHER OF OUR HOST WAS PRESENT, and I entered into conversation with him as to the experiences of his long life. He told me that he had taken four wives, as permitted by Moslem law. He had twenty sons, who had all grown up and married in Homs. He said that his grandsons numbered about a hundred, all of whom he knew by face, though he might not be able to fit the right name to each at first sight. Knowing him to be quite wealthy, I asked whether he had troubled much, My first question was whether he had been to the seashore, some sixty-five miles away from Tripoli. He had never seen the sea. Have you been to Damascus? This would appeal more to a devout Moslem, since the sea is always associated more or less with the unholy foreigners of Christian faith, while Damascus is an ancient seat of Moslem power and glory. No, I have never seen Damascus, was his answer. Well, surely you have been to Hamath, This is only thirty miles distant no he said i never went to hamath have you passed your whole life right here in homs once he said i made a journey out among the arabs of the desert to buy sheep that was the extent of traveling by an intelligent well-to-do muslim of the old school some thirty or forty years ago a change began among the people and a few enterprising men sought more favorable opportunities for making a living in foreign lands. Many of them were successful, and encouraged others to follow them. Until now, the most profitable business of the steamships calling at Syrian ports is the carrying of emigrants back and forth. The weekly exit is numbered by the hundreds, and large numbers also return from time to time. Few of those who return to Syria remain for any length of time, For, having once tasted the liberty and experienced the opportunities of life in western lands, they are no longer content to fall back into the old, slow, unprofitable methods of the Orient. A notable change has also come over the character of the emigration in another respect. At first it was only the more enterprising, vigorous young men who went abroad to seek their fortunes. Now whole families go together. Women and girls emigrate as freely as men. At first, it was only Christians who sought to improve their condition in Christian lands. Now, Moslems and Nusriah go as freely as do the Christians. At first, this emigration was a blind flight from poverty and oppressive conditions at home, with little understanding of the places to which the emigrants were going. They placed themselves literally in the hands of the steamship agents in Marseille. Taking passage from Syria to Marseille, they were shipped on from there in bunches, according to the advantage of the agent into whose hands they fell. They might be sent to Argentine, while the friends to whom they were going were in Massachusetts. They might be sent to Sierra Leone or to Cape Town, but it was all America in their minds. The simple idea of geography in those days seemed to divide the world into two parts, Syria and America. The common people know far better now, for they discuss intelligently the conditions of life and business in the various parts of the world. Syrians are to be found in every one of the United States, from Maine to Florida, and from the Atlantic to the Pacific. They are in Alaska, the Sandwich Islands, and the Philippines. They are in every country of Central and South America, in the West Indies, and in all parts of Africa. In many places they have bought property and made permanent business arrangements in the early years there were many indications of their lack of experience in money matters and general business methods one man in brazil had accumulated quite a sum of money and wished to return home he did not understand the simplicity of taking a draft in london from the bank and was averse to parting with good gold for a mere slip of paper he changed all his money into english sovereigns and put the whole nine hundred into a belt which he secured around his body under his clothes He did not dare remove his treasure day or night during the weeks of journey, enduring the weight and pressure until he reached home. He was then taken sick and nearly lost his life from kidney trouble induced by this folly. Another young man in Mexico started home by way of New York. He knew that English and French gold are current in Syria, and was sure that American gold was every bit as good. So he exchanged his money for American gold coin, It came to my attention through a man who came to me with a twenty-dollar gold piece, and asked what it was worth. When I told him its real value, he showed such surprise as to arouse my curiosity. It appeared that this coin, with one like it, had been given as betrothal token for his daughter. Subsequently, the engagement was broken by the young man, and so, in accordance with oriental custom, the token was forfeited. The father— wishing to realize on the coin, took it to the local goldsmith, who pretended to examine it carefully, and then offered three dollars for it. The father was disappointed at this appraisal, and indignant that his daughter should have been rated so low. The reaction, when he found out the coin to be worth nearly seven times as much as he had been informed, was almost too much for him. One matter connected incidentally with the emigration has been the call for assistance in handling money for those abroad. In the earlier years, there were no adequate banking facilities outside of Beirut, and so the people began to send back money to their families through the hands of friends who were merchants living in the various seaport towns. In several cases, unscrupulous men took advantage of the general ignorance in money matters to secure abnormal profits to themselves, and in more than one instance, through fraudulent bankruptcy, cheated the people out of hundreds of pounds. Those who were in any way connected with the American missionaries began sending their money to us, and at last we were obliged to conduct quite an extensive banking business. In some years, drafts for several thousand pounds would come to me in sums ranging from two to three pounds to several hundred at a time. These were to be paid out to various relatives or to be held on deposit until the owner's return. On one occasion, I opened a registered letter from Brazil and found in it a draft on London for ten pounds. On reading the letter, I found it to be written by a man I did not know, in behalf of another stranger, and that the money was to be paid to an entire stranger in a village I had never seen. It was enough for the sender to know that his money was in the hands of an American missionary. On one occasion, a returned emigrant came to my associate with a kerchief full of silver and gold coins, He asked the privilege of depositing this with the mission until he needed it. As it was evidently a considerable sum, he was advised to put it in the bank so as to secure some interest, but he preferred to feel sure that his money was safe, even though it earned nothing. Neither did he see any necessity of waiting until the money should be counted and a regular entry made of it in the books. It was enough that the missionary had charge of it. This open account remained with us a number of years, And sometimes amounted to two thousand dollars. A man sent me from Venezuela a draft for a hundred pounds, charging me to let no one know of it but to hold the money until he should come. After a long interval, I learned that his wife was thinking of going to join him since no word had been received. I succeeded in dissuading her as I knew he was planning to come home and they might miss each other in mid-ocean. The return was delayed, and before he arrived, his funds in my hands amounted to six or seven hundred pounds. The volume of emigration is growing every year and is taking away the strength of the land, but better banking facilities have relieved us of the financial cares formerly carried. The director of the Ottoman bank in Tripoli estimates the annual amount of money passing through this one port in drafts from Syrians abroad as not less than seven hundred thousand pounds sterling. End of chapter 9